read the word of the Lord and pray for his instructions. Verse 20, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. Brethren, do not be childish in your thinking, yet in evil be infants. But in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Father, help us to hear. Father, let us set aside preconceived notions, and Father, let us know what your word says. Let us draw to this and this alone, that we may drink deep. Father, help us to be people of the book, people of your word, that, Father, that our minds, we will not be childish. With our minds, we will be fruitful. Help us to hear you. Father, not man's opinion, man's accolades, or even man's condemnations. Father, let us hear you and walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. We're looking at a gift of tongues and he uses chapter 14 and he contrasts it to the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And and I really want to reiterate, people ask me, they said, do you believe in the gift of tongues? Absolutely. I absolutely believe in the gift of tongues. Why? The Bible teaches it. Uh, And I believe the Bible. And I don't really struggle with that. Um, Now, the, the, the thing though that when I look at gifts, when I look at spiritual gifts... One of the keys to help me understand a spiritual gift, what's its intent? Why did God give this gift? And that's what we're looking at in verses 20 through 25. Paul, understanding what was going on in the church in Corinth, says, I need to explain this so that the people will grasp it. All right, because the church in Corinth was struggling with it. Now, the church in Corinth had an underlying problem that was its actual issue. And I, I, we really can't lose that. And the best way I can describe it is that it was egotistical. Okay, and it wasn't just that the church was egotistical, but everyone in the church was egotistical. And, and everybody was wanting to bring um, attention to themselves. For whatever. I mean, it, it just look at me. You see it today. I hear people who want to speak so that they can show the crowd they're spiritually mature. And you know what? Some of the most mature people I've ever met never said a word because they don't have to bring attention to themselves, they just walk. They just walked. I mean, there were 12 disciples. One betrayed him. 
So you have the 11. Do we really know what happened to Matthias? But he's listed in Holy Writ. I don't know what happened to Matthew. But he wrote one of the most glorious gospel records that has ever been penned. But we don't know who they were. Does anybody know who the pastor of the church in Thessalonica is? How about the elders? What was the radio program called? TV show. You don't know. And yet you will never in Holy Scripture find a more exalted church than the church at Thessalonica. They were lifted up. They had received the word from Paul as if it was the word of God. And we don't know who their Sunday school teachers were. We don't know who their elders were. All right. But it was obvious that God was working there. That's a complete opposite of what Corinth is. Okay. Corinth is a bunch of show offs. And I see it today. The, pu- the pulpit is not immune to arrogance, to egos. When you see a church that misuses true gifts, understand that if the church will misuse the true gift, then they will buy in to any counterfeit. All right, please hear me on that. If you can't utilize, if you do not know the intent of the given gifts, why did God give them? Then misusing them will allow the counterfeit to sneak in um, pretty much without anybody arguing about it. Um, you see some of the stuff that is delineated today as the moving of the spirit, and it is awful. I mean, I cannot believe some of the stuff. And, and yet, if you look at that verse 20, he says, do not be children in your thinking. You know what he's saying, right? He starts it out with brethren, because I'm getting ready to hammer you. Okay, quit being childish. Look what you see in the church today. What do you see? Children. I mean, if listen, if a person, a pastor, uh, Jacob gave us a couple of quotes this morning. If a pastor stands up and says, I don't want you to think about this, or I don't need you to argue about this. Or, you know what you just told me? Be childish in my thinking. And the Bible is adamantly against that. He wants your brain engaged. And, and I see today, we're just cruising along. We're not thinking about it. I, I mean, as soon as I would hear a man say that, a teacher say that, I'm leaving. I don't even have to hear any more. You know, I, there are so many books that have been published on all so much silliness. And I read because I have to. And because if they're being bombarded with it, I will read them until the point it contradicts my Bible. And I don't have to read it no more. Well, but what? No, I don't have to read it no more. I don't need a person to tell me that you need to always seek time away. And my best spiritual growth time was with a quarter Jack Daniels in the Bible. Well, I can write that guy's read. I don't care what you write from there on. I don't need to read no more of that. All right. Uh, if, 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 if you pray this way, 
God is obligated to answer. I don't have to read no more of your book. All right. If you believe these eight things, none of them are in the Bible. All right. You're now in the family of God. I don't have to read your book no more. I don't have to read anything else about it. Why? That's silly. It is absolutely silly. All right. We've already looked at verses 1 through 19, and he showed us the importance of the gift of languages, the importance of the gift of tongues. What is it? It's secondary. Why? Listen, if you don't get anything, get this out of chapter 14. The key to chapter 14 is edification or edification or edification. That is what he's saying. You are gifted for the edification of the saints. Your gift is not for you. You do not have a private little devotional language. You don't have a little prayer language thing. You don't have this little thing that encourages your spirit. You don't have it. It's non-existent. God doesn't design it that way. There is no individualism. Everything that goes on in a Christian's life is for edification of other Christians. Please understand that. And if you're not utilizing that, you know, if you go backwards into chapter 13 on love, the 15 facets of love, what did, do you see that? Did you notice that all of it is for others? It's all for others. No, it's not specific others. It's which others? All others. You know, and I watch people say, well, I need to love this. and You missed it. You absolutely missed it. The key to understanding love is it is never, ever concerned of itself. It is always concerned of the other. That's the key. Okay, and the other is the others. So if I have spiritual gifts, they're being controlled by love, who is God, then what will their emphasis be? Others. All right? Great. Now we're not thinking like children. I'm feeling better. All right? He says in chapter 14, verse 14, he says, you know what? Your minds are unfruitful. Well, that would surely encourage somebody, wouldn't it? (laughs) Your mind isn't producing anything. Okay? It ain't doing anything. I don't, it just, it's just, it ain't even making noises. And I, and I see this a lot in the church. Why? Why is there an ignorance on spiritual gifts? Because we haven't read it. I haven't, I haven't asked my, when you look at spiritual gifts, what's its intent? If you have the gift of preaching, what do you suppose the intent is? Is that that difficult? And I mean, you know, I watch people talk about, well, we need healings and we need that. What was the intent for the gift of healing or the gift of miracles? All right. Did anybody get saved by raising the dead? No. All right. Do you understand that? So I see people say, well, I want this. So last week when we were looking at this, we seen there in verse 21 that it, the law was written. Okay. When you see that, it's either going to be the Pentateuch or the encompassing of the whole Old Testament, being that he quotes Isaiah next by the 
men of strange tongues and by lips of strangers I will speak to this people and even so they will not listen to me says the Lord you know that Paul is speaking of the whole Old Testament he says it is written here it is it is written now listen when I read that I'm going to pay attention. You know why? He's taking an Old Testament text and saying that it is affirmed where? In the New Testament. Anytime you do that. Now listen, I'm not dumb enough to say, oh, it all carries across. No, it doesn't. I am not to celebrate the Jubilee year. Sorry. All right. I do not get property. All right, it doesn't always carry across. But anytime you see a New Testament writer or individual bring the Old Testament in, then you pay close attention to it in its context. What's he talking about? Paul brings in Isaiah, Isaiah 28. We all know about Isaiah. He was a preacher and and was preaching to the divided kingdom. Uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, had fallen into the Assyrian captivity. And he says, oh, by the way, but he's not saying anything new to the Jews. Moses wrote it down in Deuteronomy and said, by the way, my judgment is upon you and you will know it if you don't understand the language of the people who are obliterating you. It's not that, and that's just paraphrasing it. But that's how Moses wrote it. If you hear a foreigner and he's standing in your living room with a sword, know that my judgment is on you. That makes sense. All right, or, you know, who left the door open? All right. Verse 22, the gift of tongues is what? It's a sign. Okay, the word is ace in the Greek, and it literally means it indicates it's a purpose. It has a purpose. So when you see the word as a sign, it had a purpose. What was the purpose? He's already given it to you. It was to fulfill what? The cursing of Israel. It was God telling this people, my wrath is upon you. My wrath is upon you. So when you think of the gift of tongues, the gift of languages, the primary sign is that it is cursing. It is cursing. Okay, what does that mean? Well, Jesus was on the Sermon on the Mount, right after the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins on what they call the seven woes of the Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees. Now, People say, well, what does that mean? The word there, woe, is you are cursed. Do you understand what just happened? Jesus has said, Pharisees, grace is gone. You cannot be saved. When you see Jesus say, woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Corzine. Woe to you, Capernaum. Do you know what he's saying? The fat lady's left the building. Okay? It's all over. You can't... It's done. Do you understand? Listen, you're not dead. But you do not have to worry about reconciliation with God. You do not have to worry about redemption. All right? Through the tongues of foreigners, my wrath is upon you. My wrath is upon you. And then he says, 
that it is a sign for who? For unbelievers. For unbelievers. So it's a sign of cursing, but it's also a sign for unbelieving. So you see how it works? Now listen, he's quoting Isaiah, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and guess what he says? I'll bring it in here. I'll warn you that it's coming. I'd already warned you through the law, but guess what? You will never hear. In the 15th century B.C., they were warned. In the 5th century B.C., they were warned. And guess what? They were warned in the 1st century A.D. And what happened? Cursing came. Cursing came. But I went through this all in detail last week, but now I want to show you something that just will freak you out. Because just as through languages is a sign primarily for Israel that God's curse is upon them, it is also a sign of blessing. At Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, we'll go look at it. Let's go over there and look at it. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. They had come and they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of, as fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterances. And now the... Who? Or use Paul's illustration in Corinthians, those people living in Jerusalem, those Jews, devout men from where? Every nation. And the sound occurred and the crowds came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak what? In their own languages. All right, in their own languages. Well, what does that mean? It was some kind of gibberish. No, they were amazed and they were astonished saying, why are not these why are not all of these men speaking Galileans? Okay, now see, Galileans were the hayseeds. Okay? A bunch of hillbillies live up north. Okay? And the Galileans, they're uneducated. How in the world do they know? Now look what it says. And how is it that each hear them in their own what? Language. You know what another translation of that is? Tongue. In their own tongues. To which they were born. How do they know this? How did these silly hayseed Galileans all of a sudden become bilingual? They're not educated. Holy Spirit came upon him, and he was speaking as the Parthians. They were speaking in the Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phygia. It goes through. You know what he's saying there? They're speaking in languages. These were known languages. And basically what you have at Pentecost is these tongues at Pentecost is saying God is no longer going to work through one nation. God is no longer going to speak one language. God is not going to favor one people. Therefore, mankind is now blessed. Even when cursing is fallen upon Israel. 
God is going to the world and going through the world. He will build his church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. If you go back to Septuagint, you will see the Israel is called what? The ecclesia, the called out ones. We translate it church in the New Testament. He says, I will build my church. And you can't even kill them. I will build my church and the kingdom for all nations. And and the very fact of Acts 2 that they spoke in all of those languages was God's way of saying it's all over for the uniqueness of Israel. And I'm going to speak in the world's languages and I'm going to build a church that was hidden in the Old Testament. It wasn't seen. It, Paul always refers to the church. Go to the, look into the book of Ephesus, you, to the Ephesians, and you will read all the way through there. It says, I will speak a mystery to you. Who? Jew and Gentile together. That just freaked Paul out. I mean, he's just like, wow, can you believe this? Tongues speaks primarily of the curse against Israel. Please understand that. Any times the gift of tongues was used, it was to pronounce a curse upon the hearers. Why? They were unbelievers. That's what he said. Tongues is for who? Unbelievers. Tongues speaks primarily of the curse. But notice, no sooner do you say that, that you have to say and to speak the blessings that are there that is going to come to the rest of the world. Even though Israel was being cursed... The world was being blessed. As Christ turned from uh, uh, the rebellious people of Israel, he opened his arms to the world and it was a sign of blessings through these words. I am speaking these languages. Remember, where did the languages come from? Genesis 11. He had already confused the languages. And now he says, I'll draw them together and you will hear the good news. Well, I think maybe you're reaching there. Really? Go to chapter 9 of the book of Romans. We'll pick it up in 22. Everybody teaches this this has to do with the uh, sovereignty of God. and, And that's true. If you started out there in chapter 9, verse 1, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unsurpassing grief for my heart. I would wish myself accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know what the Apostle Paul understood? Israel is under God's condemnation. And he says, I would give up my salvation would Israel come to salvation. That's the heart of an evangelist. No, that's the heart of a theologian who knows he can't lose his salvation. <laughs> if he thought he could lose his salvation, he'd never say anything like that. <laughs> you know, he may just... Uh, all right. Anyway, pick it up, verse 22. What if God... Now watch this. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath... And to make his power known, endured with much 
patience. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Okay, so he's giving you an argument there. What if God willing to show his wrath, but he's bearing with it? All right? he's, he's, He's enduring it. And he did so to make known the riches of his glories upon the vessels of mercies, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Then look what he says, even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews, but also among Gentiles. Did you see that? He said, what if he tolerated these knucklehead Jews with patience, knowing that wrath was due them, but he did it because he was wanting to draw in the Gentiles. Okay. Now, in its context, in the, in the whole theme of what he's dealing with in 9, 10, and 11, is definitely the sovereignty of God. I don't want to ever downplay that. Okay. But he's setting the stage up saying, look at Israel and how many times Israel has turned their back on me. And yet I withheld, and yet I warned them when I was going to come in judgment, I would do it how? Through foreigners, people with a different language. Look what he says, verse 25. And he says to Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. All right, the curse that went upon through the gift of tongues, the curse that went upon Israel, guess what? Was blessings to a people that were not my people. And her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Through the number of the sons of Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sands of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word of on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left to us prosperity, we'd have been like Sodom and we'd have resembled Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. How did the Jews get it? It was by faith. And he said that the same salvation that was offered to Israel has now been given to the Jew or to the Gentiles. How can you not be blessed by that? Go over to chapter 11, verse 11. Well, I'll back up so I kind of get it here because the argument would say, well, the covenant has been cut off. They killed Messiah. The Jews are all going to hell. Only those who were saved during the time of Christ right there at the immediate birth of the church were all in trouble. And he says, well, what I shall say then, God has rejected his people. Has he? Verse 1, may it never be. For I am an Israelite. I am a descendant of Abraham. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, he's saying, listen, I'm saved. And my ministry is to who? The Gentile. Lord, they have killed your prophets and you have torn down their altars and I alone are left. And that's funny. 
Um, he's quoting kings and Elijah's getting into his poor pitiful party. I'm the only one left. He says, no, I have a remnant. I have 7,000 of them. Okay, everybody else has bowed to Baal. You haven't, nor has 7,000 others. Okay. All right, then here's what happened. Verse 7, what then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. But those who were chosen obtained it. And the rest were hardened. Okay, now what he's looking at right there is when there was a hardening of Israel and yet there was that remnant of 7,000. All right, he's dragging it out of the book of Kings and he's bringing it into where? To the New Testament. All right, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. A stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Verse 11, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by, now read what he says, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them Jealous. Jealous. This was prophesied. You guys are studying in Sunday school. Who did Jonah go to? To the Gentiles. And why why didn't he want to go to the Gentiles? Well, there's a whole lot of reasons. The text doesn't really tell us, but he knew that God was merciful and compassionate. All right. If God is sending it, here's what is annoying to Jonah. Okay. God sends me or sends his prophets to the Israelites and their conclusion is what? Every one of them. They kill them. And if I send them to the Gentiles, what will happen? The little buggers repent and get saved. Right? Look at the history. All right, so when you have the tongues at Pentecost, do you see what's happening? God says, I am cursing you knuckleheads again. Okay? And the Gentiles are going to be blessed. Are going to be blessed. I mean, it's just a vicious circle. (laughs) I really wish we could grab this because when I hear people keep coming at me with you need to try this or you could try this or we've experienced this listen there's nothing new out here it happens like this over and over and over and you can put a little package on it you can put it on the New York Times bestseller list you can make a little movie about it but it ain't new Oh my goodness, if we could grasp that, we would say, you know what? I don't need all of your bells and whistles. And he said, yep, you're right. I mean, even the Apostle Paul looked at this. Now, if their transgressions, now watch what he says in verse 12. Now, if their transgressions is riches to the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? 
I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, uh, Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some. For if their, reg- if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from death? Got it? You can take tongues at Pentecost and you know that within, what, 30 years, Judaism stopped. What you see in Judaism today is a non-existent entity even in light of the time of the writing of the New Testament. There's no sacrificial system. Where do they go to sacrifice? You get Peter knocking down your doors, buddy. That's, that's going to be great when that happens. You crazy Jews are out killing sheep. Okay? Lamb chops. Everybody's got to look at the bright side of this. It's that cursing and blessing thing. The New Testament. Listen, Jerusalem's destroyed. Okay? 70 AD. Let me tell you something. There is a partial what? Do you know where that text is? Where it says that there's just a partial hardening of Israel? I bet it's in chapter 9 of Romans. No. Why? Because God has hardened them. He set them aside. You want to you understand the book of Revelations? Okay. He who hears the word of this book will be blessed. You know what it is? You know what the blessings of the book of Revelation is? Oh, we win. No. <laughs> Well, it is a good, that is good. But God is faithful to his covenant. He reestablishes Israel. I'll bring him back in. My promises are good. I like it when God's promises are good. I don't want God lying to me. Okay? But if you read that book, you, yes, yeah, nasty. But if you think about it, think about how he lays that book out. you got the seven churches. Interesting, don't you think? Look at their location. All of them are Gentile rich. And then the book begins to speak about who? Israel. And the reestablishing of Israel. Why? He's saying, look. This is how massive my gospel is. In the same vein that I can curse and set aside a hardened, rebellious people, I will embrace a global people. And it will be through all of their languages that my gospel will be preached. I mean, even, I mean, in Acts, he says, you know what? You're going to take it to where? Samaria, you're going to take it to Galilee, you're going to take it to Israel, and you're going to take it to the yeah, the uttermost parts of the world. You know where the uttermost parts of the world from Israel is? Los Angeles. <laughs> you just don't get no farther from Israel than Los Angeles. <laughs> Dude, but he's, I try to get you guys to get a hold of this because, you know what? You can look at it and it's cursing and you say, this is nasty stuff. Listen, God in the New Testament prophets and apostles 
He's going to break out declaring the wonderful works of God. That's what they did in tongues. The wonderful works of God in every language. In every language. And it's an unmistakable sign that something is coming. There's a transition coming. And it had come. There was a curse on one hand and there was a blessing on the other hand. That's the gift of tongues. That is the intent of the gift of tongues. Now listen, if Judaism ceased to exist in 70 AD, why do I need the gift? I don't. Sorry. I have no need of the gift. I do not need to preach to unbelieving Jews condemnation. I don't have to do it. Why? It's already done. It's already done. It's already been taken care of. I don't have to worry about it. I preach the good news. See, even the, listen, but even that, the Jews get saved. At Pentecost, his first message out of the gate, 3,000 Jews got saved. And yet they should have been saying, you know what? Through languages, we will be judged. Jesus said Jerusalem will surround it and Jerusalem will be utterly destroyed by foreign speaking people 70 AD Titus Vespasian comes rolling into town and it's all over but to crime he'd already been there he'd been fighting Jerusalem for uh, it seems like about 7 or 8 years had surrounded it had put siege on it they had taken down so many trees that <clears throat> even to this day they cherish trees Okay, they had trees that would line up as far as the eye could see on all the main thoroughfares that were, were turned into crosses to the crucifixion of the Jews that were dying in Jerusalem God said, my wrath is coming. And they did not hear it. Just as with Isaiah, just as with Jeremiah, just as with Moses. They did not hear it. But you know what? There's coming a time in the future. They're going to hear. They will hear. Okay. But it's going to get, it's going to get nasty. Okay, but when he stands on the Mount of Olives again and it's split from the Mediterranean to the Dead Sea, he'll have their undivided attention. He will. This day, even this day, there are Jews in the body of Christ. I do struggle with what they call messianic congregations. Uh, you know what? I'm a messianic congregation. I mean, if you don't believe in Messiah, you've got a serious problem. Okay? Uh, but you'll hear him say, well, I'm a Messianic Jew. Well, I met with the rabbi in Jerusalem. Funny, he's from Brooklyn. But anyway, um, and his synagogue is right across the plaza from the Wailing Wall. Okay? And he believes in Messiah. Okay? He thinks he hasn't shown up yet. Okay? Paul believed that there were Jew, Gentile, and the church. And if that was good enough for Paul, that's good enough for me. But again, we buy into the same problem that the Corinthians were. I'm more spiritual because I'm Jewish in my lineage? Really? I don't think so. You're either spirit-filled or you're not. 
You're either a saint or an ain't. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. So when you think about the gift of tongues, know this, its intent is a sign. Okay? First, it was a sign of cursing. Second, it was a sign of blessing. Had not the gift of tongues been exercised at Pentecost, where would you be right now? Okay? The reason that the church exists in the form that it does today is because God used the gift of tongues to condemn Israel, set them aside, partial hardening, key, partial hardening, okay, so that the gospel would go out to all peoples through all languages. Well, why, why do you look at the history of missionaries and the crucial fact that they're trying to do first and foremost is what? Translate the scripture into that person's language. Okay? You know, I have a friend of mine that I met. Well, it's ironic. When I was in Israel four or five years ago, uh, her degree, she has a doctorate in linguistics. Ugh. Okay, uh, right now she's in Central Asia learning their language so she can translate the scripture into their language. And she says it's really easy. They don't have a written language. So she just writes it out. She's creating their alphabet so that they'll have a language so she, they'll have the scriptures. That's what I'll do. The ABCs of Christianity. <laughs> okay, C spot run. All right. It looks like American. What do you expect me to write it in? Anyway, but, but I see this over and over again. There are many dialects that do not have a scripture in their dialect. Why? God wants it in their dialect. That's what got Martin Luther in trouble. He had the audacity to believe that the average man should be able to read the scripture in his own language. Why? Because that's how you find out the good news. Unless... You're an unbeliever. And then it is a sign of cursing. And yet to us who believe, it is a sign of blessing. It all came through the same gift. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you gave us a sign. And yet, Father, you gave us a purpose and its intent. Father, that it's blessed us. We stand in the blessings of the proclamation of your word in so many languages this day that it is humbling. Help us, Lord. Help us not to stiffen our necks. Help us not to callous our hearts. Help us to hear with ears you give. Help us to see with eyes that you see. Father, as we go from this place, that we understand that it isn't, we're not given information to beat other people, but we are given information that we are not childish in our thinking. Father, let our minds be fruitful. And if by your good pleasure and by your great mercy, we would be able to share this with other people, Father, may we with all humility 
bow with grateful hearts even this day that we have the good news Jesus Christ born of a virgin died for the sins of mankind and was raised on the third day and is seated at the right hand and father he shall return father help us to rest in that to your glory and praise amen